I'm Alex Melia, and this is Our Voices on Climate Change, a stage for real people to tell the real stories we never get to hear. In this series, we hear impassioned stories from those dedicating their lives to help our planet. If you'd like more people to hear these stories, please share this episode with a friend. In today's episode, you'll hear the story of how a young science enthusiast went from schoolboy physics to educating people on how to protect the Earth's atmosphere. The level of change that's required in order to fix the, the situation that we are in is impossible purely from an individual standpoint. It needs that top-down approach. This is Simon. He's a science communicator from Bath. Science communication is the general term that I like to use because it's a mixture of YouTube videos, streaming on Twitch. Recently, I've also got a book that's coming out very soon. Simon's book, due to be released in January next year, will be an introduction to and history of the atmosphere, a topic close to Simon's heart. He has a PhD in atmospheric physics from Exeter, as well as a degree and master's in physics from University of Oxford. Since he was a young kid, Simon has always been inquisitive about how things work. In fact, at age 13 in a year nine science lesson, Simon remembers his future trajectory becoming clear. Up until that point, when you're studying science, it's all science, one word. And it's only after that that you get split into physics, biology and chemistry. And um, they gave us like an A4 piece of paper with this is what you've done so far and how it fits into these subjects. And I just looked at it and thought, well, all the cool stuff's in physics. So... I guess that's what I like. That's what I want to do. And that was just from that point on, I knew I wanted to do a physics degree. Alongside his love for physics, Simon has an affinity with cinema. When my mum came home in 1997, I guess, with the VHS box set of Star Wars when they released the special edition, which had like three VHS tapes in a Darth Vader box. And before each film, there was a two or three minute making of mini documentary for about that specific film seeing those and seeing how they actually put together what as a child you just accept as true you know you know it's not real but it's almost as if they went out and filmed this story as it happened my mum is very much the sci-fi nerd of my parents like my dad is a big lord of the rings fan my mum was a big stargate and star wars fan so i guess i picked up from her this love of stuff like lightsabers and laser fights in space and that was just really cool and how on earth do you make that and then seeing that that little glimpse behind the curtain of oh so they use like a blue screen and then they put models on it and they make the models look like they're big and stuff like that was was crack for my seven-year-old brain i was just i was obsessed by it simon's parents were incredibly supportive of his interests and encouraged his inquisitive nature he was often found watching science documentaries such as the BBC's Horizon, before he was even 10. He was constantly asking questions, not always at the most opportune times. I remember that there was several years we had an answer phone and mum recorded this message of, you know, I can't come to the phone right now, but blah, 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 blah. And in the background, you can hear like a five-year-old me just going, mum, like clearly about to ask another question. And that was our, our answer phone message for years. <laughs> As an adult, Simon hasn't changed much. I'm always bounding around and investigating new things and I'm curious about stuff in the same way that like a small golden retriever puppy is. There's this spark, I guess, that hasn't died out yet in me of find about a new thing and then 
just want to learn everything there is to know about it and you know learn about that for a little bit and then you'll go down a rabbit hole and you'll eventually pull yourself out and say oh wait a minute there's another tunnel over there and then go off on one a subject that sparked something in simon from a young age was the climate at age eight he went to the natural history museum with his mum it was the first time he'd been to london they had an exhibit of a planet earth with a greenhouse around it and that image really seared into my head of that this idea that we were actually damaging the entire planet and learning in this exhibit and I, I wish I could remember more about the exhibit but that image was the most powerful thing to me. This was a rabbit hole that Simon never jumped out of. Also around that time Simon had started reading books by Gerald Durrell, a naturalist, conservationist and writer. He was incredibly forceful about this idea of human's responsibility towards the natural environment and the effect that we were having on nature and specifically he was looking at species going extinct which is one of the other colossal global crises that is tied in with climate change and that as a kind of background awareness becoming more and more in the forefront of my mind I guess as I was growing up that was that was a huge influence. Simon started YouTube on a whim in 2010 whilst at university I actually started the whole channel off with a completely different objective in mind, which was I was going to make one video about how to apply to Oxford and Cambridge as a state school student, which is what I was. went to a completely normal state comprehensive school that never sent anybody to Oxford to study physics before. And so I was quite an unusual student there. And I realised I had this valuable perspective. And I thought, I'll make a video that I wish I could have watched in year 12 before I started the university applications. Hi, my name is Simon. Uh, I'm currently an undergrad at Oxford studying physics at St Peter's College. So I thought this would be a good way to get um, just some general observations and some advice out into people's easily accessible um, information stream. And if this gets a good response, then I will put up some more videos. That ended up being really quite popular and was sort of the thing that kick-started the channel as being viable as a, a job. And the amount of feedback that I've had from that of people saying, you inspired me to pursue research, you inspired me to go to university. And I've lost count of the number of emails I've had and the stories I've heard from people that it's actually either encouraged them to do it or PhD students who were really struggling at the time with their research watched it and found solidarity and actually found it comforting. I met somebody at my partner's graduation the other day who was just graduated with a PhD and was saying, thank you for making the videos because it made me realise I wasn't alone, that other people were going through exactly the same kind of struggles. Knowing that you've had that impact on somebody's education is wonderful. We can't really put it into words. Simon's channel now has over 360,000 subscribers. Having finished his PhD, he now makes videos about climate science, using his platform for educational purposes. I have an issue with a lot of scientific content on YouTube, which is basically just, it's not educational, it's informational. It's just a list of facts, or this is an interesting thing. It doesn't actually go any deeper. I think of science communication and education generally as storytelling. That's all it is. It's exactly the same techniques and exactly the same ideas. If you want to communicate science and educate somebody on any topic well, you have to tell them a good story. So in what I do now, try to fold in all the lessons that I've learned from studying film informally and watching an awful lot of media and learning how to tell a good story. And then tying that in with the knowledge that I've gained of the earth system, the atmosphere from my time at university and my time doing research with the objective of modifying people's behavior. There's sort of three components to it of the process, the subject matter and the intended outcome. 
But fundamentally, trying to do all of this in an entertaining and engaging way. There's one video that Simon views as a particularly pivotal moment in his YouTube career. He made a video critically analysing people's tendency to pay away climate change guilt by donating to campaigns such as Team Trees, founded by YouTuber Mr. Beast, rather than make small, systematic changes in their lives that make a real difference. Remember, there are two approaches to this problem. Anthropogenic climate change is a thing because humans have put carbon into the Earth's atmosphere and keep adding more and more carbon every year. So there's two approaches to fix this. You could either suck carbon out of the atmosphere that we've put there, or you can start putting so much carbon in the atmosphere in the first place. By signing up to Team Trees, people are subconsciously justifying not changing any of their other behaviours. It's saying, look, this is a good thing. I'm not going to say this is a bad thing, but what I'm saying is it's a yes and kind of moment. Yes, do this, but also examine the behaviours that you are currently engaging in, whether that's flying or eating meat or whatever it is, and you know, asking how much of an impact those have and if you can change them. Despite his best intentions, this video did generate somewhat of a backlash in the comments. Some viewers misunderstood his point, whilst others just wanted to spread misinformation. This drew his attention to the darker side of YouTube. Doing climate content on YouTube, you learn that there are a huge number of people who are actively interested in spreading misinformation and disinformation. And something I learned only in the last couple of years, really, was that the comments are as visible as the video. And so if you post a video that is, let's say it's just a perfect video and it has the perfect information in and it's super convincing. But if underneath that you don't moderate the comments and because of how people upvote stuff, a bunch of comments that actually spread misinformation and attack stuff based on incorrect assumptions and lies rise to the top, that is just as visible and actively corrodes what you're trying to do. So. Over the past couple of years, I've taken a more active kind of moderating stance of having a, a lot of words that are blocked. He started by blocking words like bullshit and propaganda, which did sift out some trolls. But then you'll still get people who come through and perhaps they work out what the filter is. And I must have shadow banned, meaning that they, they can comment, but they don't know that it's not visible to anybody else, I must have shadow banned a few hundred people at this point because they're just consistently turning up and saying the same things over and over and over again. And so it feels wrong to me to deny people the chance to have that free discussion. But at the same time, I feel like as a creator, I have a responsibility to make sure that those comments are representative of truth. If people want to comment and say that the video is bad or that the filmmaking is bad, that's fine. I, I actively encourage that. But if you're going to spread stuff that is incorrect, that's when we have a problem. Away from internet trolls, Simon has made steps in his daily life to reduce his environmental impact. He's been a vegetarian for 10 years and has recently become plant-based. He's also made a pledge to himself to avoid flying at all costs. Later this week, I'm off to a thing in Strasbourg in France and I'm taking the train there, which takes nine hours. But I know that I'd rather do that than fly because partly it's the personal guilt, this feeling of, oh, I'm contributing to this problem. But also if I'm being looked up to as somebody who is engaged with this topic and makes stuff online about climate change, if I can't follow my own advice, then why should other people do so? There is one lifestyle choice, however, that he's not sure he could live without. I know that I want to have one or two kids in the next couple of years with my partner. And that is fundamentally the thing that you can do to minimise your impact on the climate more than anything else is to not reproduce. But 
I know that I want to. I know there's a biological imperative to do so. And it's something that I think I'm just going to have to live with that guilt and try and minimise it by also trying to minimise the footprint of my kids and saying, well, look, this is the problem we're dealing with. This is why we are probably not going to fly. Or if we do fly, that's a good opportunity, a good learning opportunity to explain about that balance. Look into the future, as Simon often does as a climate scientist, he has a pretty good idea as to what mark he wants to leave on the world. I'd like to be remembered as somebody who educated on the most important topic in the world and tried to be a loud voice in the chorus of saying, look, we really need to do something about this. And this is the discussion that we're going to have and doing so in a reasonable manner that is not doomery. It's not trying to induce panic, but it's also realistic and try to enact change on a systematic level, changing up the actions and opinions of a large number of people in their personal lives and in their voting habits and in the systems that they choose to endorse to actually have a large negative impact on emissions. To conclude, I'm going to let Simon give his final words of advice. Stop voting for the fucking Tories. The onus has been put on individuals to change things in their lives and it's to use paper straws, don't fly, eat vegetarian, all this kind of stuff. Those actions are important. When you multiply a tiny action by a billion people, it really does add up. But the problem is that we are consumers and agents within a system. And that system is determined by these huge factors that are basically the economy and how we are governed and the policies that the government tries to enact. And the level of change that's required in order to fix the, the situation that we are in is impossible purely from an individual standpoint. It needs that top-down approach. And what it needs is policies on an international, which is where stuff like the UN comes in, but also national and regional level. And it means that if you want this problem to be fixed, you've got to stop voting for the people that are actively trying to make it worse and start voting for the people that have strong climate policies. Let's actually reshape the system. And that could be staying basically within modern social democracies and capitalist system, or it could be actually rewiring the entire economy and moving away from a capitalist-based system. Fundamentally, that's the level of change that is required. And so if you keep voting for political parties that are effectively saying, yeah, let's basically keep things the way they are, they seem to be working pretty well and the economy's strong, this problem isn't going to be fixed. It isn't going to go away. And you've got to start looking at things beyond the individual level and lobbying regional politicians because you know mayoral elections count as 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 do your local elections national elections and then making a noise on an international scale as well that's where the change is going to come from it has to simon's passion and drive is infectious and he's a man who clearly knows what he's talking about the fact he's so serious about practicing what he preaches is one of the strengths of his approach this allied with his communication skills and background makes him an important voice for change. It's obvious that Simon is well aware of the political issues which surround the climate change debate. Some may disagree entirely with his attempts to censor critical voices. However, his reasons for doing so are clear. Misinformation around climate change stops real progress from happening, and this is something that we must guard against. His political views may also seem a little too extreme for some, but evidently, something significant needs to change. Perhaps this change really does need to reach all the way to our political and economic system.
If you want to keep in touch with the show and be the first to find out what's coming up next, go to our website, www.ourvoicespodcast.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. The links are in the show notes. And if you haven't already, give us a quick follow in your favorite podcast app. See you for another incredible story next week.